Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Well, folks, it is lovely to be here with you today, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. Always love coming here, actually. And as Mark said earlier, we uh, normally get here about uh, once a year, and so that's just fantastic. So I'll be here next Sunday as well, and we'll be continuing on in the theme in Mark's Gospel. Uh, Just speaking about the grandkids, yes, we've got a lot of grandkids. We've got 10, and we've got another one on the way. So uh, this was the surprise one, uh, coming about 10 years after all of the others. So there you go. So uh, a lot of fun. Uh, Makes Christmas expensive, though, let me tell you that. But anyway, there you go. Uh, That's that's another thing altogether. Uh, You know, back in March of 2018, we received a, a fairly unexpected invitation to attend the funeral of Billy Graham. And it was one of those sort of invitations that you got and we were given 24 hours to respond and in which time we had to respond and also book some flights to get over to, uh, to Charlotte in the US. And uh, so for a variety of reasons, we felt that we really needed to be there. And so we, we booked the flights and we flew across and uh, were able to be there for the funeral. Uh, the funeral was in an outdoor marquee, a huge, huge marquee, just a, a roof really. Uh, it was freezing cold, let me tell you that. Uh, I had not been prepared in any way. I took the only suit I own, and as I looked at everybody else, I was clearly totally unprepared. I, I sat there and I shook through the whole of the service, um, but we were, we were greatly honoured and blessed to be able to be there. And I remember even as a youngster, as a, on a Sunday evening, as I would go to sleep, I would be listening to Billy Graham's Hour of Decision week after week after week, and it had a profound impact upon my own life. But as we were sitting there and uh, waiting for the, the service to begin, we looked up and suddenly we saw Donald Trump coming uh, towards the, the gathered assembly. And uh, I thought, oh my goodness, uh, who would have expected that Donald Trump would have been there? And, and I suppose one way or another, uh, love him or loathe him, Donald Trump is one of those people that you just can't ignore, hey? Uh, particularly during the period of his presidency, uh, whether you liked him or not, you could not ignore the man. And yet, as I saw him approaching me, I thought he dwarfed in so many ways in comparison to the man whose life we were about to celebrate, and that of Billy Graham. You know, throughout the years of Billy Graham's ministry, he was a man in so many ways that people could simply not ignore Uh, When he came to Australia back, uh, particularly during the 59 Crusades, and uh, spoke around the country, uh, it is estimated that at least a third of the Australian population had gone to listen to Billy Graham. And there are many people even today who give testimony to the fact that they came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ during that particular period of time. But you know, we come today toward the end of Mark's Gospel. And I want to suggest to you that as we come toward the end of Mark's gospel, that we are again confronted by an even greater man who is impossible to ignore, and that is the man of Jesus Christ. He is, without a doubt, the man you simply cannot ignore. And if I understand how your series has been tracking to this point, that you would have been looking last week at the occasion in which Jesus was arrested there in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he would ultimately go to the cross. And so here we find Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and in verse 53 of chapter 14 it says, They took Jesus to the high priests, and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law, gathered together. They brought Jesus in before them, and they were determined that they were going to do something about this man. 
This man, Jesus, had so disrupted their lives. For the religious leaders, of course, there was a deep-seated bitterness towards this Jesus. In so many ways, he had threatened their power base. In so many ways, we discovered that the Lord Jesus had upset their relatively comfortable religiosity. Uh, Life was doing fine religiously, thank you, until Jesus came along. And so these religious leaders were deeply upset, but perhaps even more upset by the fact that Jesus had the most uncanny way of highlighting their own sin and making them feel horribly uncomfortable about themselves. And so in verse 55 we read that the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. These guys simply wanted this Jesus to be silenced. They wanted him to be silenced. Indeed, they wanted just simply to get rid of him. And in one sense, if they couldn't silence him with their words, then you could always silence him with a cross. And yet it reminds me that down throughout the ages, there are so many who've wanted to silence him with their words. Some of you will be familiar with the 19th century German philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, who famously made the statement, God is dead. In fact, he wrote, God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. And what he was basically trying to say is, because of all of the advancement that the Enlightenment had brought, we have no need for God anymore. And there are so many who since that time have repeated the rhetoric, if not out verbally and aloud, within their own hearts, they have declared to themselves, God is dead, and I have no need of God. We can get rid of him. And yet for these religious leaders of the day, they had decided that they too had to get rid of Jesus. But the question was, how do you get rid of him? And so the challenge was, can we catch him in his own words? Can we allow his own words to condemn him? And so we find then in verse 56 that it goes on to say, many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Here they were desperately trying to get Jesus to be trapped in his own words. If we can just get him to say something that will condemn him from his own lips, we can get rid of him. Well, we find then in chapter 14 and verse 61, they hatched a delightful plan. They asked him the direct question, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Now, we need to understand at this point that the Jews had in fact been expecting a Messiah, but they were not at all necessarily convinced that the Messiah was of divine origin. But they wanted to press Jesus with the question, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? In fact, even when they used the phrase, the the Blessed One, it was their way of referring to God without actually pronouncing His name. And you may remember that for the Jews, uh, the, the name of God was, was so sacred that you, you dare not actually utter the name of God. And so are you, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah, the Son, the one sent from the Blessed One? To which Jesus replies, I am. 
And that statement alone perhaps would have been enough to have provoked these religious leaders in their inquisition. Remember how John picks up on that wonderful I am statements of Jesus? And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. That, that little phrase, I am, in fact, throws right back to the Old Testament. When God declared himself as the great I am. And so even Jesus, in a sense, taking on that phrase is making clearly a claim about himself. But he goes on further. He says, I am... And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And what Jesus does now is he picks up from two very famous quotes in the Old Testament Scriptures. From Psalm 100 and verse 1, sorry, Psalm 110 verse 1 rather, and also he picks up from Daniel 7. And by pulling these two quotes together, Jesus is making it abundantly clear to his inquisitors that he is actually none other than God. God come in human flesh. Well, it's all they needed. In their minds, he had condemned himself with his own words. This was blasphemy and he deserved to die. And now the next thing they needed to do was to find a way to make the death penalty stick. Because they in themselves were powerless to sentence this man to death because of the Roman law. So what do they do? Well, they, they go early the next morning to Pilate. And as they come to Pilate, uh, it's very interesting to see how the, the line of accusation shifts as the religious leaders had challenged Jesus, they asked, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? But then as Pilate begins to offer his interrogation, the question is different. This time the question is, Are you the King of the Jews? And it would seem quite clearly that the religious leaders have already gotten into the ears of Pilate so that they would reframe the charge, and this would be a charge of treason against Rome, declaring yourself to be a king. And so Pilate asked the question, are you the king of the Jews? To which again Jesus now replies, yes, it is as you say. Suddenly, I could imagine the religious leaders were absolutely brimming with hope and expectation. That here again, Jesus had condemned himself with his own words. But it seems that Pilate was only too well aware of the bitter jealousy of these religious leaders. He was, they were, he was only too well aware how determined they were to twist and manipulate anything they could to ensure that a death penalty was prescribed. But then Pilate saw a wonderful opportunity. He had a break. You see, we're told in chapter 15 and verse 6, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. And so what does Pilate do? Well, we're told then that the crowd came up and they asked Pilate to do for them what he would usually do. And so Pilate asked, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? 
knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. Pilate saw through their scheme. He saw through their scheme so quickly. And for Pilate, in one sense, this was simply a way I can get around him. If I can just get around this guy so that I don't have to be bothered by it anymore. And you know, it strikes to me that there are still so many today who would happily do anything they could to simply get around Jesus. I I, I don't want to have to be confronted. I don't want to have to deal with the man. But of course, we read on then that the chief priests had agitated the crowds. Listen to what it says in verse 11. The chief priests stirred up the whole crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. But what shall I do then with the one you called the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. But why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the more loudly, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Isn't it interesting as we look at the reaction of these religious leaders? There were those who simply wanted to get rid of him. We just want to get this man completely out of the way. We do not want to accept a thing about this man. And then you have a pilot who, I just want to get around him. Don't bother me. Don't don't ruin my day with this confrontation about Jesus. Let me just get around him. And there are people in this day and age who respond in similar ways to Jesus. But there is another character in this story that we have not yet mentioned, and that is the Apostle Peter. And we find that in chapter 14 and verse 54, it says, Peter followed Jesus at a distance. And here was Peter, one who in one sense wanted to follow Jesus. Peter followed at a distance right into the very courtyard of the high priest. And there he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. And as I read this, I'm reminded of the fact that so often there are people today who who do want to follow Jesus. But they do want to follow him at a convenient distance. They don't want to be too closely aligned to him for fear of the possible repercussions. They want to be a Christian, they want to be a follower of Jesus, but they don't want to ever fly that flag in their workplace or amongst their neighbours. And I suspect in the age in which we're living at the moment, with the growing antagonism that there is toward the Christian faith in the Western world, we may well see more and more believers who are of a mind to follow Jesus more at a distance because they're scared about what it might actually mean for them if they were to own the name of Jesus too publicly. Oh, look, I'll just live a good faithful life. I'll have my own devotional time in the morning. Uh, I'll I'll have my time of prayer, but I'm not going to put it out there for the world to see. Well, as we know, Peter, Peter failed, didn't he? Do you remember a little earlier in chapter 14, Jesus had told his disciples, he said, It is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. To which Peter declared, Lord, even if all fall away, I will not. 
There may be others who will be, who will be scared. There may be others who will run from you, who will disown you, Lord, but not me. And to which Jesus replies, today, yes, even tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. Oh, Peter wanted to follow Jesus. He desperately wanted to follow Jesus, but when push came to shove, Peter caved in with fear. He caved in with fear. It, it, the, the rhetoric of his devotion to Jesus was not matched by the reality when the pressure was applied. And you know, sometimes I fear that we can find ourselves in a similar position. We can come to church like this and we sing the rhetoric of our love and devotion to Jesus because it's nice and safe and convenient for us when we're all together. We love to do that. And yet how easily, when push comes to shove in the real world, we can find ourselves beating a hasty retreat. We don't want to be too closely aligned to Jesus. Peter had made such a strong declaration of, of commitment to Jesus, hadn't he? And yet when the pressure was on, Peter wanted to step right back away from it all. Do you know, Peter speaks to me so powerfully, and it's not just because of the name, but he speaks to me so powerfully because I think all of us have known seasons when we have, we have failed. We have failed to be faithful to God in spite of all of the rhetoric, in all, despite of all the songs that we've sung, the numbers of times we've made recommitments of our lives to Him, and yet we have failed. As I was a child growing up, we had this, this picture hanging on the wall in our hallway. I used to find it a, a rather disturbing picture in lots of ways. Uh, you know how sometimes you see a picture and the eyes just seem to follow you? And I used to walk down the hallway and there were times when, as I recall, I would almost press against one side of the hallway as I walked down because I, I, I felt as if these piercing eyes were watching me. But underneath that painting, there was a quote. There was a quote from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. And it simply recalls the events of that night. And Luke includes something there that Mark doesn't include in this passage and it was simply this, it says that Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Luke goes on to say, then Peter remembered. And if you have been parents, you know what this is like, don't you? There are times when your kids have been messing up and they've been doing the wrong thing. And sometimes it's just a look with the eyes. And man, that's all you need to do. And they know you can see guilt written all over their faces and they just want to beat a hasty retreat. And this is Peter. Suddenly Jesus looks at him and suddenly Peter is brought under immense conviction. One look from Jesus and Peter remembers. He remembers the words that Jesus had spoken only hours before. Before the rooster crows twice, you will have denied me three times. And indeed, that's exactly what Peter had done. Three times, Peter had denied any knowledge or association with Jesus. In fact, on the last occasion, he even began to call down curses upon himself. So vehement was he 
in his denial of any knowledge of Jesus. But do you notice what I've highlighted there in this passage? Not only does Peter remember, but we are told that he broke down and he wept. Peter became broken inside. He saw the reality of his own shortcomings, of his own sin, and he began to weep. You know, it reminds me of that beautiful passage that we have in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, let me get it right here. Pages are sticking together. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Godly sorrow leads us to repentance. Peter, suddenly in that moment, became incredibly convicted. And there was a brokenness of heart and of spirit. Psalmist David spoke about that kind of thing, didn't he? Broken in a contrite heart, O God, you will not deny. And Peter became utterly broken. But in that moment of his brokenness, Peter also discovered the grace of God. And this was the whole purpose for which Jesus had come, wasn't it? This was the whole purpose for Jesus going to the cross. So that God's grace might be extended to those who recognize that they were broken, guilty sinners. To those who through genuine repentance and faith could find the grace of God. I love the way the Apostle Paul years later would write in Ephesians 1. In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Peter experienced in that moment the reality of what God had sent Jesus into this world for, so that the grace of God might be extended to broken, guilty sinners. And how delightful that it would be Peter himself years later, who himself would then write, you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you have been redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. I wonder how Peter how Peter felt as he pens those words those years later. He remembers so clearly, I am sure, that night, that night of his denial, that night when the eyes of Jesus locked eyes with him, that night when he was broken to the very core of his being and he wept bitterly with a godly sorrow, that night when he discovered that in Christ there is grace that abounds for the truly repentant. Folks, one way or another, Jesus is the man that we simply cannot ignore. Oh yes, there will be plenty of people who would happily just get rid of him because he just makes them feel altogether too uncomfortable. And I don't know whether there's any of you in here today or perhaps watching live stream at the moment and you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, I I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm even listening to this because I don't want anything to do with this, Jesus. I simply want to say to you this morning, drop your barriers and come to Jesus. Give up on the pretense of trying to get rid of him. You actually need him. 
And yet there may be others of you, a little bit like Pilate, all you want to do is just get around him. You, you don't want to be confronted by him. And again, maybe you're wondering what on earth you're even doing listening to this message. Maybe you're, you're involved because a friend has invited you to listen. But really, if you could just do one enormous sidestep and get around him, that would suit you just fine. Let me just get on with my life. Can I simply say to you, don't try to get around him. But I suspect in a gathering like this, many of you are already followers of the Lord Jesus. But it may well be that for some of us, we are followers who would be more content to simply follow at a comfortable distance. We don't want to get too closely associated the moment we walk out the door. We want to be able to follow Jesus, but we don't want to to let it become a matter of public faith. I want to suggest to you today that the Lord Jesus is calling us to so much more. And maybe even as I've spoken this morning, some of you, you have a deep sense of conviction that, yes, you have failed. You have failed. You've sung the songs of devotion, but the reality is, in the real world, that devotion is not there. I want to say to you again this morning, there is a place, there is a place of forgiveness and grace as you come to the Lord Jesus. As you recognize and admit your sin, as you come to him, there is a place of rich forgiveness and an overflow of grace. Aren't you so grateful for the grace of God? This grace in which we stand, This grace that beckons us come again and again and again to receive the richness of God's amazing grace. You know, I'm always struck by the final words that Peter pens in his second letter, 2 Peter 3.18, but he says, but grow, continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You know, folks, there is a place for every one of us who profess to be followers of Jesus to be daily, continually growing in this grace as we continually press into Jesus and make the profession of our faith in him real in both the good times and the bad times, the easy times and the hard times. And the voice of Jesus calls us, it beckons us again and again, to come to him and receive his amazing grace. Will you join me as we pray? Now, Heavenly Lord, we want to say thank you for the incredible grace that you revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, this unmerited favour that you freely bestow upon each one of us who recognise, Lord, that we cannot and of ourselves faithfully walk with you and live you. We who so regularly fumble and fall and fail, and yet, Lord, you continue to offer grace upon grace upon grace. Oh, Lord, may we never presume upon that grace, but may we learn all the more through that grace to live lives that are absolutely committed to living faithfully for you, 
not only in our homes, but in our workplace, in the marketplace, amongst our neighbours, that the light and beauty of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus would be revealed to all through the lives that we live. Hear our prayer, Lord, we humbly ask it in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.